My mic on, thank you. Our children are heading out to our children's church and uh, be in prayer for our children's ministry as the program that they'll have for us will be next week and they have been working diligently. Uh, it's a lot of work that goes into this and I want you to be sure you come out and bring somebody with you to honor our children. Uh, what a blessing uh, they are and uh, what a blessing this program will be. They practiced diligently yesterday for over, I guess, three hours or so. So they've been working hard at it. So be sure to be here and to uh, honor them with your presence. Amen? Amen. All right. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Woo! All right. As we get excited, as we turn to the Word of God this morning, we recognize and know that that is where our life is found, is the very Word of God. I'm starting a new series this morning called The Perfect Gift for Christmas. The Perfect Gift for Christmas. Today, we're going to see uh, what God offers to us and gives to us is his perfect gift for Christmas. You know, one of the things that I have found, and you probably found in your life at this time of the year, that you're all searching and seeking, trying to find that perfect gift for that child, that spouse, that special loved one in your life. And, and, and rightly so. I think that's wonderful and great. But I, I have found that no matter how hard you seek, it doesn't seem to be that perfect gift. Amen? But this morning, I can say unequivocally, the gift that God offers to us is a perfect gift. Uh, because you're going to see in his word, it's all found in his son himself. Matthew chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, the words are provided for you on the screen there above. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. The Apostle Paul said something like this. This is what he, how he described the gift that God offers to you and I this Christmas. In 2 Corinthians 9.15, it says, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What a name. There's other names that you can give uh, to that. But Paul says it's an indescribable gift that he has given to us in his son, Jesus Christ. I want to call it this morning the greatest gift ever. Now, why do I say that? It's because it cost him the greatest price, his son. And it met the greatest need, our sin problem. And give us the greatest reward, eternal life. 
You see, this gift that God offers to us this Christmas is found in none other than his son, Jesus Christ. Today, I want you to see three things as we go through this this morning. The perfect gift of Christmas. Number one is the gift of Christ's life. Listen to what the Bible says to everyone's condition when they come into the world. This is amazing to me. It says, why is it that we need his life? Why is it that we need life? It seems like I'm doing fine. Why do I need his life? Listen to what God's word says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Now, the Bible pictures all humanity. The world in its condition, when it comes into this world, is a world who is spiritually stillborn. Dead to the things and the ways of God. Now, oftentimes people say, well, I'm not dead. And I, I've talked to many people that don't know the Lord, and they would say, well, I'm fine. I don't see like I'm dead at all. I'm, I'm, I'm operating fine. Yeah, you're surviving, but you are dead spiritually speaking. We all come into this world dead in our trespasses and sins. And we prove that in our actions, in our appetites, and in our attitudes. Amen. We all come that way. We're dead to the things of the world. God understands where we are. But here's the good news of the gospel. It's called, but God. In, in Ephesians 2 verse 4 it says, But because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ. You see what God offers to us this morning is this Christ life. This life that is so unique, it's unique in the sense that it's eternal life. In other words, it has a new quality to it that it will be forever and ever. It's unique other than anything you've ever seen because it's spiritual. And God's wanting you to understand this life that you and I must have in order to have a relationship with God. This life he offers to us as a free gift. He says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only is it unique in the sense that it's eternal life, but Jesus said it was abundant life. It, it said, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. In other words, God wants to give you the fullness of joy that you're looking for in life. You see, one of the things that I have found, and you have probably found as you walk this earth, you find a lot of people that look like they have been chewing on sour pickles. I mean, they, they don't seem to be happy at all. There's no sense of joy in their life at all. But you see, God understood that. Jesus looked out upon the world and he was grieved by it because he knew the condition that they were in. And he says, I come to give you life, an abundant life. This abundant life is awesome because we have all our sin debt. It's paid in full. Think about that. 
You see, we have the power to live triumphantly over all the temptations that we face in life. That this life is abundant because the person of God that is with us that helps us to live a righteous life. This is abundant life because we have a whole new source of living that we didn't have before. You see, one of the things that I've learned as I've walked in life is when, when you realize that you have a person who is dead to the things of God, no matter how much you tell them they ought to do this and they ought not do that, guess what happens in their life? It creates more anxiety. It creates more fear, more frustration, and more anger. Because why? They know they cannot do it. They try hard, and they try harder. And the harder that they try, it seems to be the worse it gets. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but when dealing with people of addiction, one of the first things that they need to come to grips with is their self-will that has been running riot in their life is they need something other than what they have had before because they have tried everything in their self-will to try to stop what they're doing, and they didn't have the source to do it. Have you ever been there? You want to do the right thing, but you don't. And you see, that's what God offers to us, a life, a source that will help you to live a different life, a life above this world system. To where, what's this? The things of the world are under your feet because when God sees you, he sees you in Christ. And where Christ is, he's seated at the right hand of God. And because he's seated in the right hand of God, God has placed you in him. And therefore, anything that you face in life is under his feet. And if it's under his feet, it's under your feet because you're in him. God offers this incredible new life. In Colossians chapter 3, it says this. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, too many of us have this idea that we're living this life as a cordless drill, you know what those quarters drill, how good they are? I mean, they're wonderful and convenient, and they're great. Until what? The battery runs out. And when the battery runs out, it always runs out in the middle of what you're doing, right? How could this be? I got to get down off the ladder. Got to go get another. There you go, right? You see, the Bible teaches that we have not a cordless drill of life. We have one who plugs into the whole Georgia power unit. And watch this. It just plugs in and you use that source over and over and over again. You see, I hear Christians say this. We come to church so that we can get our batteries recharged. You ever said that? We've said that a lot. You see, the reality is this. You don't come in here to really get your batteries recharged. You already have the battery in you that never runs dry and that never goes out. That drill, that power pack that's in you, listen, is to come into the church of God on Sunday morning to release your praises to him for the life he's given you in Christ. He says in Ephesians, no, in John chapter 1, Verse 12, this is how you get that eternal life. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in him, in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You receive by believing and you become. It's that simple. God offers that this Christmas as a perfect gift for you. It's called the gift of Christ's life. Not only is it the perfect gift because he offers you Christ's life, watch this. The second aspect of this is this. He offers to us the gift of Christ's nature. Oh, I love this. You see, you are a born sinner. The Bible tells us that we're all born that way. Now watch this. Not because of your performance. You see, humanity's definition of a sinner is performance-based. If a person sins, he is a sinner. But that's not God's definition. You see, his definition, his view, is that a sinner is a sinner because he was born that way. Watch this. Neither good nor bad performance can alter that. Now, it's not S-I-N-S, sins, that sin person, send a person to hell. It's his nature that sends him to hell. You see, all you have to do to go to hell is to be born and get enough to be accountable, get old enough to be accountable. Now watch this. Unless you submit to God's plan to get your nature changed, you are forever sunk. Now that's what the Word of God teaches. And unfortunately, we have this idea that we think it's our sins that are sending us away. No, it's our nature that separates us from a holy and righteous God. You must have a brand new nature in order to have a relationship with a holy God. Amen. And God offers to that as a free gift of his. Know with Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 it says this, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now note with me that phrase. You're God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Listen, he's not creating that in you. He created that in Christ Jesus. You see, everything about this perfect gift at Christmas and everything about Christianity is about one person. His name is Jesus. It's all about Jesus' life. It's all about Jesus' nature that God has created for us in him. This new nature, Christ's nature, you are living with, watch this, first of all, is alive. It's alive to God. It's alive to the things of God. It's alive to the ways of God. And watch this. It means not only that you're alive, but the Bible says you're justified. You're redeemed. Your old self has been crucified. Your old self has been crucified. Your old self has been crucified. Just in case you didn't get it, your old self has been crucified. You are not condemned. You are free from the law of sin and death. It's not about your performance anymore. It's about the performance of one man, Jesus Christ. We are accepted. We are sanctified. We have wisdom. We have righteousness. We've been restored to favor. He always leads us in triumph. You are a new creation. You are liberated. You are complete. You are hidden in Christ. His life is in you. You have bold and confident access 
access to go to the Father about anything and everything, and he will hear you. Peter said it this way in 2 Peter 1, verse 3. He says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And then he says in verse 4, through these, what are these? His own glory and goodness. He has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. What a blessing to know that God has taken away my biggest problem. It's called my sin nature because he's given me a brand new nature. And that new nature is in Christ. That gift he's offered to me is in Christ. And listen, when God looks at me today, he doesn't look at me as the old Alvin 30 years ago. He looks at me as in Christ and created in Christ. I am special to him. I, I am a dear to his heart. You see, Christmas is about the perfect gift, and the perfect gift is Christ's life. Is Christ, watch this, is Christ's nature. But third, it's about the gift of Christ's identity. Oh, this is so key. You see, because of your new life and your new nature from Christ, you have a personal relationship with God. And with that, you have been given a new identity. Your new identity does not come from your old identity in Adam. Your new identity comes from Christ. You see, church, this is our biggest struggle. You see, we see one thing operating in our life, and we therefore think that well, this is what I'm feeling. This must be right. No, no, no. Your feelings must be retrained with the truth found in God's Word. And you need to understand that not only is Christ in you, but you are in Christ, and your new identity is found in him and when you find your new identity in him you begin to have a different attitude about life you begin to have a different appetite about life and you begin to have different actions about life you see this is so precious because when you understand your new identity in Christ here's the first thing you need to get that you are totally forever totally forever accepted that's your new identity listen this is so encouraging to me it means this, that you are loved unconditionally and that you belong to God. And listen, that is so precious to me. That ought to be most precious to you. Now, this is what's so beautiful about God's Word. He doesn't just say, I love you. He wants you to feel you are deeply loved by God. He doesn't want you to say, hey, intellectually, I've logged another fact in my mind. No, he wants that fact to become a feeling in your life by which it changes the way you make choices in your life. Hallelujah. You see, God is interested in the whole person. That means your mind and your will and your emotions, all of it being put together. That's why he calls you his son, his daughter. He wants an intimate love relationship with you. Look at this great verse in Romans chapter 8, probably the greatest chapter in the Bible. In verse 15, it said, The spirit you received does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. 
Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by him we cry, Daddy, Father. Dada, Father. That's how God sees you. He, he, he wants you to understand that you're his child and he's your daddy. He wants you to emotionally feel that. He wants you to intellectually understand that. And he wants you to make choices based on that. You see, God does not need you or me to complete his life and meet his needs in any way. Your step of faith in Christ did not force God to do something he did not want to do already. That's just who he is. Now watch this. He loves you because he chose to love you. You see, he welcomes you into his arms as a dearly loved child simply because he wants you as his child. He wants you, Robert, as his child. Wow. Think about that. The perfect father, the perfect God has chosen you and says, that's my child. That's my son. That's my daughter. Listen, my friend, that ought to excite you. That ought to send warm feelings within you. Because listen, the one who has every right to disown you and to judge you and reject you in every way, he is there. But he opens his arms and says, that's my son. That's my daughter. I got my name on them that's God God chose me and you and watch this even when he knew all about me my past my present my future my sin my weaknesses my faithfulness my lack of love at times ever done that and you still want me, God, to be your child? He says, yes, yes, absolutely, yes. Wow. If it wasn't God saying these things, I would think it was too good to be true. Because God's saying this, I know it's true. Because God cannot lie. When he sees you, he sees you, watch this church, as eternally lovable. That's how he sees you. In 1 John chapter 4, old Papa John said this, not the pizza guy, but old, old Papa John. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. That gives me such great comfort, that verse, church. Let me tell you why. Because nothing about you calls God to love you. He just does. You see, too often we lose sight of the truth that God loves us, period. Well, pastor, what if I do this? Or what if this happens? Put whatever you want there. Never forget these two verses right here. I have banked on these over and over again in my life. Paul said this way, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. Get a hold of that. That'll rock your socks off. Amen. See, he loves you and totally accepts you even, watch this, even when you're heading and have been heading in the wrong direction. He still loves you. He still loves you. I, I never forget the story of Roy Regals in 1929, where you go way back, back in David Thornhill's day, uh, a, a University of California football player, Roy Regals, uh, made Rose Bowl history. Remember that? In the second quarter of the game, he scooped up a Georgia Tech fumble and headed for the end zone, the wrong end zone. He was tackled by a teammate just before crossing the goal line. Regal's team had to punt from their own end zone, and Georgia Tech blocked the kick, resulting in a two-point safety, the margin that eventually won the game for Georgia Tech. Hallelujah for that. Amen, Lance? Amen. That's right. That was the whole point of the story. No, not really. <laughs> Those of you who are visiting with us, I'm a Georgia Tech fan, okay? <clears throat> don't, don't see no red and black on this one, but anyway. Uh, uh, it's all about Christ's blood, okay? <laughs> Just remember that. <laughs> Let me get back to my story here, okay? <sighs> During the halftime, the California players, you know, filed uh, gloomily into the dressing room and Regal slumped in a corner, buried his face in his hands, and he just cried uncontrollably. Coach Price come over to him and offered, uh, you know, no halftime pep talk. I mean, what could he say? As the team got ready to go out for the second half, his only comment was this. Men, the same team that played the first half will start the second. The players started for the door, all but Roy Regal's. Coach Price walked to the corner of Regal's and sat down and says, Roy, didn't you hear me? And then he repeated the instructions he had given the team. The same team started the first half, starting the second half. Now watch this. This is you and I. Coach, I can't do it, Roy dejectedly said. I have ruined you, the university, and myself, I cannot face that crowd again to save my life. Is that not like us? We've sinned. And we say, I, I, I have ruined you. I have ruined my family. I've ruined the church. I've ruined the kingdom of God. I've ruined myself. I've ruined others. Therefore, I cannot face the crowd again. But watch this. Coach Price puts his hand on his player's shoulder and he says, Roy, get up and go back. The game is only half over. You see, that is God's accepting attitude toward us. You see, we make mistakes. We occasionally run the wrong way. We, we stumble and we fall and we shrink from God's shame on us. But God, he comes and puts his hand on our shoulder and he says, get up, keep going. The game is only half over. 
My friends, I don't know where you are today. You, you may have sinned greatly in your eyes, but listen, no amount of sin, no amount of rebellion that you have ever done or have been doing will ever separate you from his love. He's wanting you to turn back to him and experience his unconditional, total, forever acceptance. He will never reject you again. He will always be there to pick you up, to get you going, to keep going. Because listen, it's only half over. It's only half over. Don't give up, church. Don't give up. I believe as you receive and enjoy God's unconditional love, you will see more clearly that you are totally accepted. And you know what's so beautiful about when you know that you're totally accepted? You walk with security in your life instead of insecurity. You walk with fearlessness, not fearfulness. Because why? Your identity is in Christ, not in your performance. Good, bad, or indifference. It's all based on the performance of one man, Jesus Christ, to give him all the praise. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Your new identity. He says that you are totally accepted. But watch this. You're also infinitely valued. This is your new identity. This is who you are. John says to his disciples before he was leaving this earth, in John chapter 15, he says, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. What an intimate time it must have been for them. But I want you to understand something. Jesus was saying to his disciples, No man has greater love than this. Lay down your life for your brothers. Lay down your life for your sisters. But you know what's so beautiful? Is Jesus did something even greater than that. He laid down his life for his enemies. That they could become friends. So that the friends could lay down their life for their friends. Wow. You see, why would God do that? Because he saw you in eternity in his eye. That you were infinitely valued that I really love you. You see, what I'm convinced for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we need a fresh vision of Calvary. You ask the average Christian what Calvary is all about, and, and they will say it was about sin and forgiveness. And factually, you're right. But here's my question. I always like to follow up with this. Why did God deal with our sin and offer forgiveness at Calvary. I'll tell you why. It's changed my heart. It's changed my life. It's because we are lovable to him. And the only way we could belong to his family was if Christ died for our sins. And because we are lovable to him, we are worth the death of his son. As you perceive your value to God more clearly, it will affect how you live and how you interact with others. Imagine what would happen in the church alone if we started seeing each other that way. Man, she is infinitely valued. He is infinitely valued. What difference it would make in our interactions with each other. You see what God is saying here? This is what's so precious to me. Is that you are worth God's attention. 
You know what I find about every human being? I don't care who you are. Every human being wants attention. Oh, I laughed so hard last night. I can't tell you how precious this was. My son is sitting there and my grandbaby. And she has got this particular song or whatever she's looking at on her little mini iPad. Dad is trying to watch something on TV. And she keeps pulling on him. He looks down. He said, okay. And finally, it wasn't enough for her. So finally what she did... Come here, Robert. <laughs> Sit up here, Robert. You never know. As long as you're on the front row, you just never know what you're going to get, okay? It was so precious. Kylie was just really had to have her dad's attention. And so finally, she, she's over here. And he looks down and says, okay, A, B, C, D. You know, she's just going through this. And, and she's not happy with that. She says... And he looks at her, and finally, you have to understand, this is how she is. She's like this. Her dad's way up here, okay? And all of a sudden, she takes her eyes. <laughs> you can get out of it. But what was so precious is what was happening was, listen, Dad, I got to have your full attention here, okay? I don't want you to say yeah and say ABC or sing that song or whatever. That's not what I'm after. What I want is for you to give me visual contact here. <laughs> I laughed so hard. You know, what's so funny because in the moment, Lee was trying to watch something that was really that part in that particular movie that he was really trying to figure out, and she was not having it. And you could tell he didn't want to do it. And she got up, and he just busted out laughing. <laughs> You know, I remember as a kid getting down the floor and building these little blocks with my son and even getting on the floor and playing with the baby dolls of my girl. You know why? Because they wanted daddy's attention. And nothing would suffice without daddy's full attention. Oh, church, this jumped all over me last night as I was thinking about this. God, God knows what we need. He wants us to know how infinitely valued we are. And so you know what he did? He left his world and come down to our world and got on the ground. And listen, he gave us his full attention to let us know, I love you. I love you. I'll always love you. You are mine, and I'm going to pay a price for you to let you know that you are infinitely valued to me. That's what he did. He went all the way to the cross, all the way to the cross, and died. You see, Jesus came at Christmas to meet this need. Emmanuel, God with us. He left his world and come to our world to identify with us, to give us his full, undivided attention. Here's the question and the challenge for you and me. Are you demonstrating your value of others 
by doing the same? Are you too busy watching TV? Are you too busy? Are you too busy working? Are you too busy doing your own thing, building your own kingdom? You see, we got to get real, church. We got to be Christmas to somebody because they need it. And God did it for you. He's not expecting you to do something that he doesn't do himself. And he comes to you and he says, come, come. I have just lost my whole message. It'll come up eventually, 250 others later, and I haven't found it yet. Not only that, we're infinitely valued. (coughs) We're totally accepted. (coughs) But we're powerfully competent. That's our new identity. Listen, God has given you the power of the Holy Spirit to live a whole new life. And he asks you just to receive him. Receive him. He will show you himself. As you receive him, the Bible says this. This powerful confidence comes this way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. This was so beautiful to me. is because no matter what you face in life, no matter what you face in life, God has given you everything you need to be victorious with. He's in you. And if he's in you, you don't lack anything. The Bible tells us he has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's given us the very spirit that was in Jesus. That same Holy Spirit is in you. So now, listen, in your new identity, you can't say, hey, uh, God says this in his word. You are my witnesses. And we say, well, I'm just not really equipped to do that. Now, wait a minute. Who's in you? Christ is in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Hey, uh, God's called me to serve. (laughs) I don't have spiritual gifts to do certain things. No, God's given every one of us a spiritual gift. You, You can't use that as an excuse either. You see, he has given us everything we need to be fulfilled and to fulfill his mission here on this earth. And God just wants us to say, hey, I need you, God. I want to thank you, God, because now I believed in you, and now I'm going to live out this new identity that I have, that I am, watch this, totally secure, I am significant, and I am powerfully competent to do whatever you ask me to do. You know why? You know why this is a perfect gift? Because it's Christ's life, it's Christ's nature, it's Christ's identity. He overcome the world, and you too will overcome the world by your faith in him. Amen? I close with this today. I ran across this, this story, and uh, when that step gets longer every day, I think. <clears throat> John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world. Look at this. I, I translate this. This is my own paraphrase, okay? 
God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that if you would believe in him, you would not perish but have eternal life. I ran across this story, and it just riveted me. I'm going to read it to you if you don't mind, and I close with this. This is what Christmas is all about. A little boy was selling newspapers on the corner. The people were in and out of the cold. A little boy was so cold that he wasn't trying to sell many papers. He walked up to a policeman and said, Mister, you wouldn't happen to know where a poor boy could find a warm place to sleep tonight, would you? You see, I sleep in a box up around the corner there and down the alley, and it's awful cold in there for tonight. Sure would be nice to have a warm place to stay. The policeman looked down at the little boy and said, you go down the street to that big white house, and you knock on the door, and when they come out to the door, you just say, John 3:16, and they will let you in. So he did. He walked up the steps, knocked on the door, and the lady answered. He looked up and said, John 3:16." The lady said, come on in, son. She looked him in, uh, she took him in, and she sat him in a split bottom rocker in the front of a great big old fireplace, and she went off. The boy sat there for a while and thought to himself, John 3.16, I don't understand it, but it sure makes a cold boy warm. Later, she came back and asked him, are you hungry? He said, well, just a little. I haven't eaten in a couple of days, and I, I guess I could stand a little bit of food. The lady took him in the kitchen and sat down to the table full, uh, table full of wonderful food. He ate and, and ate until he couldn't eat anymore. Then he thought to himself, John 3.16, boy, I sure don't understand it, but it, makes, it sure makes a hungry boy full. She took him upstairs to a bathroom, to a huge bathtub filled with warm water, and he sat there and soaked for a while. As he soaked, he thought to himself, John 3.16, I surely don't understand it, but it sure makes a dirty boy clean. You know, I've, had, I've not had a, a bath, a real bath, in my whole life, it seems. The only bath I ever had was when I stood in front of that big old fire hydrant as they flushed it out. The lady came in and, and got him. She took him to a room, tucked him into a big old feather bed, pulled the covers up around his neck, kissed him goodnight, and turned out the lights. As he lay in the darkness and looked out the window at the snow coming down on that cold night, he thought to himself, John 3.16, I don't understand it, but it sure makes a tired boy rested. The next morning, the lady came back up and took him down again to that same big old table full of food. After he ate, she took him to that same old split-bottom rocker in front of that fireplace and picked up a big old Bible. She sat down in front of him and looked him into his young face. Do you understand John 3.16? She asked gently. He replied, no, ma'am, I, I don't. The first time I ever heard it was last night when the policeman told me to use it. She opened the Bible to John 3.16 and began to explain to him about Jesus. Right there in front of that big old fireplace, he gave his heart and life to Jesus. He sat there and thought, John 3.16, don't understand it, but it sure makes a lost boy feel safe. You know, I have to confess, I don't understand it either. How God was willing to send his son to die for me. How Jesus would agree to do such a thing. I don't understand the agony of the Father and every angel in heaven as they watch Jesus suffer and die. 
I don't understand the intense love for me that kept Jesus on the cross till he said it was finished. I don't understand it, but it sure makes life worth living. God so loved you, say it with me, God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son that if you would believe in him, you would not perish but have eternal life. Father, in Jesus' precious name, I pray for that soul today that does not know and has never experienced your love. May this be their Christmas like none other, Lord. May this be a reality that touches them, that changes them forever and ever. And yet, Lord, many of us in this room are already born-again believers. But, Lord, my question is for all of us, starting with this pastor, are we living this new life? Do we really, are we really experiencing Christ's life? Are we really experiencing Christ's new nature and, and Christ's new identity? Are we living by that? Are we still going back to our old comfortable ways of living by our feelings instead of our faith in your word? Let your word take root in our hearts this morning, O oh God, and let us become the men and women that you so desire for us to be. May your blessings be upon us, Lord, as we worship you, as we sing this song, as we go to the altar right where we are or here up front. May we just do business with you. God, have your way. Let this Christmas be the perfect Christmas because we've made you number one. The number one priority is receiving the perfect gift of Christmas. Father, I love you, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Lord, have your way now, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's all stand. The altar is open here in the front. You want to come and pray, you can pray right where you are. Make your own altar right where you are. Just do business with God. Be obedient to him. I won't keep you but a few more minutes, but just be obedient to God. Let him have his way. Okay, church? I dare not live